0: to get that deal, and let's get on with the show. Listen to any number of prominent officials on the left, and you will hear about what a no-good, very bad, horrible place the United States is, a veritable hellscape of white supremacy, income inequality, and bigotry. And yet, we're going to be going over some statistics today that potentially challenge that narrative. That's what we're going to be discussing today on Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. All right. so as I said before, to listen to the uh, to listen to the left talk about America, you would think that we are a horrible, backward place steeped in white supremacy, and we hear this all the time. Here's some of the narratives that we often hear. We hear America is racist, right? It's systematically racist down to our foundations. You see this within critical race theory. You see this within the 1619 project. It's this idea that everything about the United States, uh, United States, and our history is inextricably rooted. In racism, I'm not talking about we have racist elements in our past. I'm not talking about there's been racism. I'm talking about it is it is just merged within all of American society. Our laws, institutions, beliefs, ideas about ourselves is inherently racist. You hear that? Because we're racist, clearly we're bigoted, right? And we're not only bigoted toward people of different skin colors. We're bigoted toward uh, you know people that have different sexual preferences, or we're bigoted toward women, or or whatever it is. We also hear that the United States, even though we're a wealthy country, we don't actually provide for the basic needs of our citizens, that that essentially we just let people die and we let them go bankrupt uh, due to medical bills and we don't provide for good education. Like across the board, apparently we just don't provide any sort of of key services within the United States. We're just way behind uh, the the rest of the Western world. Um, Another one is, is, uh, you know, we'll hear that what we'll commonly hear from the left, that America is not great. You actually heard Governor Andrew Cuomo say that America's never been that great. And I've even heard somebody say, in fact, I, I, I put out a post a while back talking about why I thought America was great. And somebody came back and said, name one thing that the United States is first in in the world. Just name one thing other than like the number of people we have incarcerated. Name one thing that we are first in. Okay? Challenge accepted. Here's something that the United States is first in. When potential immigrants were asked on a poll by Gallup, what nation they would like to immigrate to, guess which was the number one answer? The United States of America. And and it wasn't even close. There was like over, out of all, there was something like 750 million people. um, It was determined that up, up to 750 million people would like to immigrate to another country. And the United States, out of this poll, 157 million wanted to come to the United States. The next one, depending on the year it was done, was either Germany or Canada, and it wasn't even close. It was something like three to four times as many people wanted to come to the United States as wanted to immigrate to either Canada or Germany, right? One of these countries, the left, tells us is so much more advanced and tolerant than we are. Now, keep in mind, because a lot of times the left wants to refer to polls like, like general happiness. They'll say, oh, well, you know, people are so much more happier in places like Denmark or Nordic countries where they have more of these social welfare programs and things of that nature. What's interesting is that they don't take into account certain cultural norms when they ask these questions about things that are subjective, like happiness. So, for instance, you know, a, a country, when they're polled, they might say they're very, very happier. They're happier than people polled in the United States say. But their use of antidepressants or their suicide rates are higher than the United States, right? So somewhere there's a disconnect. Right, and it, And it's easy to do things like that. We actually saw this recently with uh, CNBC did a poll on the best states to do business, right? And in order to make Virginia the number one, here's what they did. They actually changed their criteria for how you determine positive economic environment in order to give a boost to country to states that were more left-leaning.? right? But the real poll, the real poll in almost anything like this, is not so much what do people randomly say on a poll, right? That you know that, that can give you some indication. But the real poll is, what do people do? What do people choose to do? And overwhelmingly, those people that were asked about immigrating want to come to the United States. So the left is going to have to make up their mind here because two contradictory statements cannot be true. And the very people the left thinks are the most oppressed in this country, right? When you go to people that that look like those people in other countries, this is where they want to come. So, So clearly, they didn't get the memo about what a horrible hellscape the United States was. They still see the United States as a land of opportunity. And in large cases, they see that not because the government is automatically coming in and interfering with every aspect of our lives, but because America is one of those places you can go where the government will not come in and interfere with every aspect of your lives. They see it as an opportunity to be able to start a business without having some government official come in and steal it from you, without taxes being so high that you're going to lose the incentive to actually work hard. So the bottom line is, you know, are we perfect in the United States? No, no country is perfect, no individual is perfect. The last time a perfect person visited Earth, he was crucified, right? So we don't have the best track record for dealing with perfect people. But this idea that the United States is such a horrible place is, is absurd when you look at the numbers of the people that want to get to this country. And as we look at what's going on in our southern border right now, right, it reinforces, it reinforces this idea the people around the world especially people that are trying to flee poverty right they don't pick the nordic countries they don't pick europe as their number one destination countries in europe as their number one destination they pick the united states and as we look at our immigration policy that that comes into some questions that we have to answer because i want the united states to be the sort of place that people want to immigrate to in fact if it was up to me because because culturally philosophically I have a lot more in common with someone that wants to immigrate to this country in order to take advantage of the opportunities, in order to work hard, in order to build a life for themselves and their family. I got a lot more, you know, in common philosophically with that person than I do with someone in the United States that is constantly tearing down this country. And, And I'm not the sort of person to say, if you don't like it, leave. But I am the sort of person to come back and say, well, if you really think it's that bad, why, especially if you think it is so bad, like at its core, at its root, and, and you have all of these other countries that you think are so much better, I, I do wonder why you stay. And, and again, I respect the fact that some people want to stay because they think they can change it for the better. But what's amazing to me is that a lot of the ways that they want to change this country is to make it more like the countries that people are leaving in order to get to the United States. And that part I don't understand. But for those of us on the right, obviously we have to deal with this immigration question. And what I want to go over is some of the ways that we can effectively do that by, you know, reinforcing, again, this idea that the United States is a great country. We have our problems just like any other country, but it is a great country. And across the board, when you look at a number of things, whether it's quality of life, whether it's your ability to move up the economic or social ladders, whether uh, it's the amount of living space you have, access to food, access to health care, we score incredibly well when you look at that criteria objectively instead of taking all this subjective criteria that people want to add into it in order to cook the books in their favor. All right, so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about what should our immigration policy look like within the United States? What, what, are, some, what are some core you know, factors that would allow us to have the sort of immigration policy that would encourage people who want to come to the United States, who desperately want to be Americans, who want to work hard, who believe in the American dream to be able to come here, right? While at the same time, understanding that because of the way that our social programs operate, because of the way that our voting systems operate, we still have a right to national sovereignty, just like every other country. And we also have a right to make sure that people are not coming to this country to either hurt us or hurt our citizens, or take advantage of programs that they have not paid into. And so let's go through that. What's the number one thing that we have to do? I mean, the bottom line is, look... Based off of what we see happening right now on the southern border, border security is critical. Because right now the process, and, and Joe Biden fostered this, right? Joe Biden ran, essentially telling people that they should come to the United States. And then as soon as he got into office and he put you know Kamala Harris in charge of the, the border crisis, who, by the way, like refused to go to the border until Trump announced he was going to the border, they all of a sudden they started changing their tune because they realized that open borders is not a sustainable strategy. And so the question is, is that, okay, if you, if even the left now acknowledges that open borders are not a sustainable strategy, especially during a pandemic, well, then this begs the question, how do you actually fix that issue? And the only answer I can think of is you have to have greater border security. Now, what are the different ways that you can do that? Well, obviously Trump's solution was to build a physical barrier, a wall, right? To make it not easy to just walk across the border. And for everybody who thinks that that was, you know, just an, an outlandish concept. I went down to the border, and I was actually talking with people that lived on the border. And most of the people that we were talking to down there um, had lived on the border for some time, and this was in uh, Texas, and a lot of them were either immigrants themselves or they were second and third generation immigrants. A lot of them still had family in other countries. A lot of them still went to other countries in um, Mexico or in Central and South America to visit their family. And a lot of them dreamed of one day their family being able to come to the United States. But when you asked them about border security, for them, it became a very real issue because it was, it was not so much about immigration policy, it was about basic safety concerns. And so they took us to an elementary school which was located right on the border. I mean, literally, you walked outside of the elementary school, you walked up to a levee, and there was the Rio Grande. There it was, like you could look across and see Mexico. It was right next to the border. And as they were talking about some of the concerns they had, so for instance, Um, One of them had been a teacher and they were talking about how many lockdowns that they go through in a school year because someone will cross the border and be hiding in the school because what they're waiting for is at the end of the school day when the cars come by to pick up the students, that's when they go and they get their ride to be able to get into Texas, right? To be able to get further in to the country. And because of that, teachers didn't know. Parents didn't know. Why was there a lockdown? Was it a school shooting? Was it because there was someone dangerous on the premise, or was it just somebody that honestly wanted a better life for themselves, right? And, and again, it doesn't make it, doesn't make it okay to, to just cross the border illegally simply because you want a better life, even though I think many of, us, many of us could relate to that desire. It was now a situation where parents were constantly worried throughout the school year on why their kid's school was going on lockdown. Was it because there was a dangerous threat? And a lot of times you don't know that answer until the person is actually in custody. And and some people hear this and they think, okay, is, is this hyperbolic? I mean, how often does this really happen? As we were standing there on the levee, and this, and this mother was explaining her story, two people literally came out of the bushes, walked up the levee, walked down to the other side, and Border Patrol came in and, and picked them up. So, yes, it, it is a very real concern for these people. They talked about issues of not being able to let their dogs out at night or, or being worried about being out at night because... Again, you don't know if it's someone crossing the border simply because they want a better life or if it's someone crossing the border because they're trafficking guns or drugs. And, and they had stories of, of, you know, household pets getting shot because somebody didn't want the dog to alert them that somebody was crossing the border by where they lived. So there was a, a very, I would have thought this would be a very reasonable concern on behalf of people that were living right there to essentially say, look, we, we don't have a problem with legal immigration. They didn't even have a problem with making legal immigration easier to engage in. But they wanted basic security measures in order to be able to protect themselves and their family. Not from somebody that was just seeking a better life, but from violent people that do occasionally come across the border. Right now, a second consideration was for this was that when the Obama administration put in things like DACA, right? And, and it, it sent this message out to parents within, you know, all, all over the world that if you get your children to the United States, that we won't send them back. Well, again, if you're a parent and your kids are growing up in an environment that may be violent or doesn't have the same economic opportunities and you want to get them to the United States, the message you heard was, if you send your child unaccompanied to the United States, they would get to stay and then there's a much larger chance that you would be able to join them later on. And so how do you plan that, right? Do, do you just walk your kids up to the border and shove them across? No. Because the drug cartels and other criminal organizations closely monitor a lot of that traffic. And so what they end up doing is they end up applying pressure to people that are trying to cross the border, trying to get their kids across the border. And then you start to see see an increase in the number of kids that are being sold into sex trafficking or or kids that are being used to run drugs or used to run uh, weapons or kids that are actually being used multiple times. So the kid will actually come across the border with one set of adults who are not their parents And then the cartel will move them back to transfer more parents over because the way our system works right now is that once they're picked up, they're incarcerated for a certain period of time, but then they show up to their court hearing and they're given a court date. And because of the backlogs, they're then released. And so they go right back. And again, and, and we can talk all day long about separating families at the border, but what essentially happened in some cases was those kids were just being used to help traffic people across the border. And so you, you have this huge problem, which is incredibly violent, where, again, you don't know who's coming across, and you don't know how that particular child may be being used. That might not be their parents. It's one of the reasons why the separation policy took place it was because you actually had to give law enforcement an opportunity to determine, is this child is this child with their parents, or they was somebody that is actually you know, manipulating or using them or trafficking them? But but it's not as if the press came out and actually gave an, an honest rendition of what was actually taking place. They just automatically jumped on this narrative that this was, this was just a cruel, inhumane policy on behalf of the United States government. So when it comes to things like border security, it makes unless you want tens of thousands of more border agents, it actually makes sense to have some sort of physical barrier and some sort of observation mechanism, whether it be drones, whether it be surveillance cameras, in order to be able to monitor a very long border with limited resources. Not to mention the fact that if you look at some of the Border Patrol groups that they have, whether it's like STAR, one of the biggest things they do is they actually find people that have crossed the border in incredibly dangerous places where there are no facilities, where there is no water, and people are dying of dehydration out of the middle of the desert. These guys go in and help them. If you're actually setting barriers up in some of those places, you actually discourage people from crossing the border at the most dangerous points. So there, there is plenty of humanitarian reasons to have additional border security. And this idea that, that a border wall is nothing more than a Berlin wall, let's just keep, let's be intellectually honest here. Because I, I understand some skepticism on governments creating walls. I really do. But there's a big difference between a wall that is made to secure your citizens versus a wall which is made to entrap your citizens because they desperately want to leave. So border security is perfectly reasonable, and we're seeing right now because of the border crisis on the southern border where they they even went in and they, they refused to allow news agencies to fly their drones in certain portions of the border. They said it was for security purposes, but the real reason why is because at one overpass The border patrol was having to keep people underneath an overpass. And one day it was something like 6,000 people. And within about a 48 hour period, it had nearly doubled. And then all of a sudden they shut it down for security purposes. I think it was because they don't want the American people to see what is actually going on. Because once again, the same people are telling us the pandemic is just, uh, this is a horrible threat. And your kids have to be masked seven hours a day in school and you're gonna lose your job if you don't get vaccinated or get tested two or three times a week. Don't seem to have any problem with people who have not been tested, people that we don't know their status with respect to whether or not they have COVID, huddling up in a mass of 10,000 people and then crossing over the border and then being shipped by our own government to different places within the United States. And and do we get any feedback from the CDC on whether or not that's causing any outbreaks in some of the areas that they're being shipped to? Nope. I guess they're going to be silent on the issue. So that first step is border security. It It is not unreasonable. And for a lot of the people that are living on the border, this is something that they live with in a way where they are legitimately concerned about their safety and the safety of their family. Right? So I'm not talking about some sort of draconian system where we shut everything down. I'm not talking about trying to hurt people. I'm just talking about providing for simple measures that allow us to properly allocate resources that discourage people from crossing the border in areas where it would be incredibly dangerous for them to do so. And that potentially give our law enforcement the tools to be able to shut down the more nefarious purposes for why certain organizations or criminal or terrorist groups are trying to cross the border. I don't think there's anything unreasonable about Point two. When you look at our immigration policy with respect to who's coming into the country, if you look at the UK, if you look at Canada, if you look at Mexico, all of them have immigration policies that in some respects are far more strict than the United States, especially Mexico. But some of it is based upon this idea of why are people immigrating? Now, I I am sympathetic to certain people on refugee status. when When it comes to the various people that we left in Afghanistan, who had special visas, who had worked with us for 20 years, that were under threat of their life because they work with the United States. I am incredibly sympathetic to making sure that they can come to the United States and getting them in touch with civic organizations that can help them when they, once they get here in, in order to assimilate them into America. I, I don't have a problem with that. But we're starting to see this whole idea of refugee status where now all of a sudden it's like, it, it, you don't even got to be fleeing like a war-torn environment. If, if you just happen to not prefer your country's economic policies well, you got some on the left that saying, well, that's the same as a refugee that's fleeing war. No, I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's correct. And we look at, when we look at the reasons why people are coming to the United States, most people are not coming to the United States as refugees, like that are genuinely fleeing government persecution or civil war or something else. Most people are coming to the United States for one of two reasons. And this is going to go into two different policy points. One reason is because they want the opportunity in the United States and they work very hard. And honestly, when someone wants to come over and they want to work hard, I I want to make a legal path for them to come into the United States that makes sense. Because heaven knows we want people that want to work hard and be Americans. But you still have to do it legally. And if you come to the country illegally, even for good reasons, and and we, we just allow you to stay then what ends up happening is we incentivize more of the same thing and you will get more of what you incentivize. And so it's important that we have an immigration policy which rewards the people that are doing it correctly and does not reward people that are doing it incorrectly or even in a dangerous fashion. Because if you're rewarding illegal immigration, you're you're not just talking about the person that crosses the border, you're talking about the person that also feels compelled to go through a criminal or a terrorist organization in order to make it in here or, or feels pressured into doing so. right. So the motivation for people coming. Again, we want an immigration policy that makes sense for our economy. And a lot of what that should be based upon is what sort of what what sort of demands do we have within our own economy? And I don't think there's anything wrong about giving people preferential treatment based off of the skill sets that they bring to the United States. And that doesn't mean they always have to be high end skill sets. But It it makes perfect sense, and again, the vast majority of countries do this. If you want to immigrate to their country, they want to know why you want to come. Do you want to be a citizen? Do, Do you want to work hard? Do you bring certain skills and assets to the table that make sense for that country? Again, I think that's perfectly reasonable. So that has to do with the sort of immigration policy that you put in place. The third component has to do with what sort of bad incentives do we have for people to come to the United States? So, as I mentioned before, right, for, for all the left out there that says that, you know, we don't do anything to take care of our own population in this country. Really? Because a lot of immigrants haven't gotten that memo, and some people are specifically coming to the United States because there is a large welfare state. And a large welfare state, especially one that is easy to manipulate, or one that has a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse, provides a perverse incentive for people to come to the United States. Because obviously if you have a lot of people, if you have people paying into a system and you have other people that are using the system that are here legally, that are not contributing the same amount of tax revenue as what they are getting with respect to public benefits, then you, you have a math problem. That doesn't make anyone racist. That doesn't make anyone bigoted. That, that's simply a math issue. And if, and if the contribution, the economic contribution or the tax contribution that someone has is, is not matching what, what they're getting from those programs, then at some point those programs are going to be in a lot of trouble. And they're not going to be there for the citizens, whether they were born here or whether they immigrated here. They're not going to be there for the very people that American taxpayers were told they were designed to protect and to assist. In fact, if, if we want to be serious about this, if, if you wanted to actually create a more immigration-friendly United States, one of the things that you would have to do in order to make it work economically, is that you would have to have significant welfare reform. But again, the left doesn't want to talk. They want to drastically expand welfare at the same time they want to open borders. You can't do both. Milton Friedman talked about this, and Milton Friedman was very pro-immigration. But he said, economically, you cannot have open borders and a large welfare state because the incentive structure is completely messed up there, and you're going to actually hurt American citizens. And again, that's just not American citizens that were born here. That's American citizens that immigrated here legally. So three components there, right? The border security component. You have the making sure that you have an immigration policy, which is actually meeting the interest of the United States. And then you reduce the perverse incentives that would cause someone to come to the United States for the wrong reasons. Now I want to talk briefly about how this all rolls into state responsibility because immigration is primarily a federal responsibility. But what we saw Uh, during the Obama administration, we're starting to see it now again, during the Biden administration is state law enforcement agencies are having to play a more active role, especially those at the border, but not just at the border are having to play a more active role with respect to immigration policy because the federal government either doesn't have the resources to properly manage it, or as a result of policies from the Obama administration, the Biden administration, They are deliberately not allocating the resources necessary in order to deal with it. And in fact, are encouraging policies, which is leading to the crisis, which has led to and maintained the crisis. And none of the media is talking about it right now because there's so many other things that the Biden administration has messed up, whether it's Afghanistan or whether it's this new vaccine mandate that I don't believe he has constitutional authority in order to push. That They're not dealing with this issue, both from an immigration policy, a border security policy, and as well as a health concern a health issue. And so states are now having to pick up and use additional resources in order to cover down on the federal government's inability or unwillingness to actually fulfill their responsibilities. And what I find so frustrating about this on on some level is the fact that the federal government is trying to do so many things that appear nowhere within the enumerated powers of the federal government. They're trying to do all these other things that they don't have the time to focus on the things that are actually their responsibility. That was evidenced in Afghanistan, it is evidenced down at the southern border. And, and we as citizens have a right to be able to look at our federal government and say, you know what, before you do one more thing that has nothing to do with the jurisdiction of your power as articulated in the Constitution, we would like you to focus on the things that do fall very clearly within your scope of authority and responsibilities. We don't want our state budgets to be consumed with this. And there's one other thing I want to talk about here because this has been an issue in the past, and I think it's going to be an issue again in the General Assembly session coming up here in Virginia. And a lot of other states are, are dealing with this as well. And this has to do with things like sanctuary cities. And what a sanctuary city is, is essentially it's a local government authority saying that they will not cooperate with immigration. Now, there are some people that have advocated for essentially telling a, a local authority or local law enforcement that they have to enforce immigration policy. And for a lot of people that makes, that makes sense, right? That seems very superficially like a, you know, plausible, it makes common sense. I wanna tell you constitutionally, again, if you love the constitution, and I do, I wanna tell you the problem with that. If you get to a point where you are mandating that your local law enforcement is responsible for enforcing immigration law. You are creating an environment where now the federal government has the authority to come in and essentially federalize law enforcement priorities. And as we are talking about all the things that we want our local police departments, our local sheriff's office to do, it is one thing to say, we want you to cooperate with immigration, right? It is another thing to say, if you don't, you will be punished because now the federal government actually has you know, they, they actually have more control over our local departments than we, we want. By the same token, I think it's also fair for state governments to essentially come in and say, look, if you're a local jurisdiction, which is said that you refuse to work with immigration, even when it's appropriate, even, with you, even when you have somebody that has, you know, that has been arrested for, you know, a violent crime. And a lot of times, and here's the other part the left doesn't want to talk about, a lot of times when somebody that is here illegally has committed a violent crime, a lot of times they have committed it against other immigrants. And when you're saying that you're not even going to work with immigration when it comes to getting people out of the country that have committed acts of violence against either our citizens or other people that may be in this country, maybe illegally in this country, but haven't hurt anybody, I think that's problematic. And I think it's perfectly appropriate for the state to come in at that point and say, look, if this is what you're going to do, well, then we're going to withhold certain funds from your locality as a result. Again, not saying that you have to force every situation, but, but when a local community says, actively says, we will not cooperate under any circumstances, then I think it's appropriate for state government to say, well, okay, then there's certain budgetary items that you're not going to be eligible for. Because the bottom line is, whether it's a welfare program or whether it's law enforcement, If you're creating a situation where you're not willing to get rid of violent criminals or if you're creating a situation where there's going to be an increased demand on public services and you you are fostering that, well, then you can deal with it at the local level. And then you you can let the people within your community decide whether or not they want to have to pay the additional taxes or deal with the additional problems associated with that. And if they do, great. But you don't get to tell other counties or other jurisdictions within the state that they've got to subsidize your decision. So, and and one other thing I want to mention on that, because this is another, this is another comment that comes up a lot because my father was law enforcement and my father was law enforcement in um, Los Angeles, which obviously has a large um, immigrant population. And it has a lot of people within Los Angeles that are here illegally. You do want to give local departments the discretion. So let's say, you know, a a young woman walks in and she's here illegally and she comes in to report that she was assaulted or she was raped. Yes, in that instance, I don't want local law enforcement to ask her about her immigration status. I want her to feel safe that she can talk to the police at a local level in order to report a crime. That, that doesn't mean I agree with someone being in the country illegally. What it means is it's a prioritization. And, and if somebody needs to report a violent crime, I want them to be able to do that without fear of their local department because I want that local department to be able to create the sort of trust that is necessary. But when they get the person that assaulted her, if it turns out that person is here illegally, oh yes, I want them to, I want them to communicate with ICE. I want them to communicate with immigration because I want that person to be punished and then I want that person to be deported. And I don't think it is unreasonable for us to be able to take that position. And that's one of the areas where state governments are are having to come in and pick up for where the federal government is again, refusing to do its job. So let's do a quick recap, quick recap, right? Because again, the left-wing narrative that we're a horrible, no good, very bad, awful place and a hellscape for minorities doesn't seem to play out with a lot of the people that want to come to this country that list the United States as their top definition as a factor of three to four to one with the next destination that they would choose. I think that speaks very, very well to the sort of society that we have within the United States, that we are a welcoming country, that we are a country that believes in rule of law, and that we are the sort of country that actually produces the sort of opportunities. So that is a positive thing, which completely, I think in many respects, destroys the left-wing narrative about this country. When it comes to dealing with immigration, we got a couple things that we have to do. One, we need better border security. That is both for the benefit of our citizens and for the benefit of an immigrant population, of someone that wants to come into the country, that is right now very susceptible to being a victim of drug cartels, criminal organizations, and the lot. We need an immigration policy that actually makes sense with respect to our objectives. And I think a big part of this has to do with, does someone want to come to this country to be a citizen? And does someone want to come to this country to work? Or is someone coming to this country because we have an elaborate welfare state that is really easy to manipulate? And that's not always easy to determine. But a really good way, a really good way to make sure that you're getting one and not the other is by having a common sense immigration policy, which makes it, which makes it reasonably easy to be able to immigrate to the United States if you have good intentions and you want to be a part of the American dream. and makes it very difficult to come to the United States if you're just coming here in order to live off of what American taxpayers, immigrants or otherwise, have paid for. Right. The third component is We have to reform welfare. If you want to have a good immigration policy, we have to make sure that we have a welfare system that is not expansive and disincentivizing. There's a whole host of economic issues for why the welfare state has actually been counterproductive and hasn't helped a lot of the people that it was supposed to help. But by the same token, it also creates perverse incentives, which also create an immigration policy or immigration problem. And we see that right now. And then that fourth component has to do with what is the state's role. And unfortunately, more and more states are having to pick up the slack of the federal government because of failed policies. And, and it is time both for individuals and for states to essentially say, look, we still want the United States to be the sort of place that people want to immigrate to. But if we want to keep the, sort of the United States the sort of uh, place that people want to immigrate to, we need to have common sense policies. And before the federal government does one more thing, that doesn't fall within their enumerated powers, you need to fix the things you are actually responsible for. And there is nothing racist, bigoted, or lacking in compassion about that policy position. All right, I hope you found this helpful. Make sure that you like and share, leave us some more comments. Um, let us know what you think of this policy. What you know, let me know what you think of the four policies we discussed today, and what are some other ideas? Because again, I, I am not anti-immigration, but I do think it needs to be done correctly. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next episode.